Welcome to episode 36 of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And I'm at home in um, cold Hermosa Beach. Cold but sunny. Um, And you are not. Even colder Portland, Oregon. Um, That is actual cold, not the cold that you're experiencing. This is actual freezing cold. And uh, but it's thawing out today. Uh, it looks like the sun's coming out and the snow's melting and the ice is receding. So it's cold here now. It's cold here. It dropped below sixty degrees. Yeah, I understand. I understand. It uh, it dropped into the twenties and teens here. So well, that's ridiculous. I don't know why you're there. <laughs> I got some nice nice drone footage. I uh, was in Eugene yesterday and it is they had a a a snow or ice storm and all the trees are um covered in ice there's trees down everywhere um trees fell on houses on cars there's branches everywhere but the trees themselves are pretty beautiful and and i got some uh interesting drone footage that i'm enjoying playing with so right on well speaking of drones we have a lot of um tech news to to talk about politics of tech um tech the tech of politics um stuff to talk about this week but um let's start off actually with amazon's headline grabbing announcement about its drone delivery yeah i mean this is um one of the blogs i follow uh drone girl um is she's uh uh, kind of a refreshing view. I mean, she's very, very uh, drone infatuated, like I've uh, uh, found myself to be. But um, it makes me happy that she's uh, covering the realistic aspects of of the drone hype. And this story on the Amazon delivery, I think, is is the second. She did another. I don't know if we did. We talk about the other one, the Chipotle one. In, in uh, I think we did. I think yeah. we did. But basically, you know how how staged and organized and planned the drone. Um, uh, Chipotle drone delivery was in uh, Virginia. This is uh, pretty similar, but this time it's Amazon in the UK, and it was a um, uh, a coordinated uh, drone delivery, the first drone delivery to a gentleman. I think they delivered popcorn and a Fire TV, uh, Kindle Fire TV thing, or Amazon Fire. And, um, and so it was another, like he has a landing pad. Um, it was, you know, which I, I'm guessing everyone's going to have to have here. Um, there's going to be an aftermarket for landing pads that people are going to have to, uh, get. And oh, of course the, the maid's coming to clean the room. Um, but, uh, um, and so these things are very, um, you know, not that drone deliveries are not going to happen at some point. I, people love to point this out to me the last couple of times. I think we've been places you and I are like, you know, drone deliveries, a lot of hype and a lot of bullshit. And people love to go, but it's true. It's going to happen. It's happening. And and I don't doubt that it's going to happen. But, you know, the uh, people love to hype it up that you're going to be able to get a burrito. You're going to get a pizza. You're going to get your Amazon delivery right at your doorstep and, and just logistically, uh, you know, you know, Amazon can't even deliver our re- products right now via UPS to our front doorstep reliably. Um, I, um, I just think, uh, you know, I, I enjoy seeing these stories that really kind of, you know, paint it for what it is that we need to kind of tone down our expectations and, and, and lower the hype levels a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that this is, you know, this is really a great example of um, the sort of fixation we have with telling certain stories about the future. And I, I mean, I've, you know, this was the talk I gave at BCU, right? The best way to predict the future is to issue a press release. So Amazon claims to be really committed to this notion of drone delivery in the future. Doesn't make, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't surprise me. Amazon um, is is a huge um, retail and shipping undertaking. In fact, they have their own delivery service because they um, sort of overutilize the postal service, UPS, FedEx, um, other other delivery companies. So they even have their own fleet of delivery of of humans driving vehicles bringing packages. So. Any opportunity, I think, that these Silicon Valley overlords have to, like, automate something, get the human out of the equation, I think they're pretty committed to that sort of future. But really, this is a great example of this wasn't actually, you know, this was completely staged, really. The only thing, um, the only thing that actually was um, how it would operate sort of in, in you know, it was actually sort of the process of ordering the popcorn and the Apple TV, or the, excuse me, um, the Fire TV. It was, the rest of it was really just sort of a production, and it wasn't, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hope that this is going to be the, the future, but that's, that's not actually indicative of anything other than the brilliant marketing and then, of course, the gullibility of the tech press that loves to write about these sorts of stories. Well, and I would add the the end users who love to digest those stories that you know create the page views and and believe this is just right around the corner. Um, and and I think more importantly for me, like even if it is right around the corner, the the willingness for the average person to ignore all of the negative consequences consequences that come with that being right around the corner. So you know we 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 really want our Chipotle burrito and our Amazon packages to come via uh, drone delivery. But um, we're not willing to actually have adult grown-up discussions about, uh, you know, the problems all of that causes as far as, you know, too many drones in the skies, things falling out of the skies on us, how, um, how those landings and deliveries work in our, in our residential neighborhoods, our homes, our apartment complexes, or even at work. Um, and then, uh, you know, what uh, security uh, problems, you know, hacking of these drones, um, stealing of these packages. There's just, there's just a lot of things that need to be discussed, but uh, we seem to really, really like just endless waves of hype. Um, and then no critical uh, faculties forever going, hey, that thing we just got excited about last week never actually happened, and it hasn't happened for the next two years. I think she mentioned in the the drone girl mentioned in her article, she's like, yes, this amazing the 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 first drone delivery when actually the first one that was recorded was actually in 2011 and was a taco delivery, and six five years later, we're still like not actually there, not even close to being there. And uh, we're still getting stupidly hyped up and excited over this, these bullshit claims was basically the, the, her premise. Right. Well, speaking of, um, speaking of companies that are trying to bend the world to their will through, um, through hype and staged PR events, um, Silicon Valley's favorite in Rand fan, um, Travis, whatever the hell his last name is, the CEO of Uber, um, the Uber launched a self-driving car experiment in San Francisco this week. Yeah, they're uh, um, despite 
not being having the uh, the approval of the local and or the state the government, state, state yeah. government in doing so. They're just basically giving the finger to the state, and the state has said, you know, you need to uh, actually do this properly and get permitted and and do what you're you know follow the rules. They basically gave a finger. And said, we're going to do it anyways. And so there's self uh, Uber self-driving cars roaming around San Francisco. And we saw one video um, on YouTube. I was combing the top videos of YouTube this week um, just seeing what's going on. And, and one of them was a self-driving car running a red light. I think it looked like on 3rd Street um, in San Francisco and just kind of barreled through a red light as someone was had stopped at. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, I think that this is... So uh, um, again, this 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 real firm belief that autonomous vehicles, whether they're drone delivery or cars, are inevitable, and that there's sort of no there's sort of no stopping it. Which um, again, I I think is sort of patently untrue. Um, nothing is inevitable. No technology technology adoption is inevitable. Um, we can actually stop things. Um, but I think, you know, one of the me- one of the mechanisms that we've utilized to to stop the development and implementation of technologies that we find immoral, unethical, dangerous is through the regulatory mechanism. And of course, Uber is perhaps the poster child for Silicon Valley's desire to dis- well, Silicon Valley, the libertarian um, desire to dismantle the rec- regulatory system, um, and sort of this real disdain for the kind of rules that are in place not to destroy business, but actually to protect people. Right? The reason that we have, the reason that we have a lot of rules and regulations around cars, who can drive a car, how you drive a car, how fast you drive a car, what you do at a red light, um, what kind of insurance you need to have, um, is because it's, you know, it's, these are, these are dangerous, these are dangerous vehicles. And um, although I think that we've, you know, we've become quite accustomed to, to living with that danger, um, there's still a lot of rules in place that we follow, unless we're Uber. Um, and then, like you said, it's a big finger to a big finger to the government. Well, and the, I wrote a story uh, a couple months back about how uh, regulatory beasts are made, and pointing my finger at the drone space. That uh, you know, this these these kind of wild west areas that uh, the technology pops up in, and um, the people who seem to be kind of defining the spaces seem to be the the worst, uh, most badly behaved among us. Um, and that's how in this not just self driving cars, but uh, the 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 gig economy or the sharing economy that um, the and and in the entrepreneurial spirit, some of the just most mindless young men, specifically young white men, seem to lead the charge in in disrupting these spaces and trying to define and push forward the rules, which uh, uh, elicit this this response from government, um, which oftentimes can be misinformed or uninformed, um, but they're they're having to respond because they have to be accountable to a. a you know, larger to people, to people. <laughs> and um, where these these young men who are doing startups don't really have to be accountable because, you know, in two to three years, they'll sell that, they'll exit, and they'll go on to whatever they're going to do next, um, disrupt. And so it, it's kind of a perfect vehicle, pun intended, for 
creating these these regulatory beasts. And you know, there's a lot of reasons why you know hate 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 it, love it or hate it, why the taxi industry and delivery and and these rules are in place because uh, people with disabilities still need access to rides. Um, you know, there there are just a lot of rules um, around what what's going on, and and I think the bad behavior they tend to point to that they want to disrupt the the good old boy networks that are um, that that exist within New York City or San Francisco taxi cab associations or livery associations or hotel associations if we're talking Airbnb um, those are the things they want to disrupt but ironically they're perpetuating those good old boy clubs in these entirely new ways um, oh yeah they just want a piece circles. of the pie yeah they just want a piece of the pie yeah so I always want to call him Travis Bickle which is the name of Robert De Niro's character in Taxi Driver, but his name is Travis Kalanick, and he, I know, it, that's I'm what gonna always comes that somehow. To, It'll take me some time, but it's not Travis Bickle, but it might as well be. Um, we, uh, sorry, but he and Elon Musk, um, another Ayn Rand fan, have joined the uh, are taking on a role in the uh, incoming administration as strategic advisors, which I find, again, really interesting when we talk about dismantling government regulation, when we talk about privatization, that these two um, are going to be aiding um, uh, aiding Trump. Uh, another person that joined um, his uh, his transition team is the CEO of every API person's favorite company, Oracle. Yeah, uh, we, you know we've talked about <laughs> that bodes well, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you know, uh, on a separate note, but in the in the, I think we're going to include in the show notes is you know IBM uh, kind of announced this week that they they will not be be building a Muslim database. Um, but it'll be Oracle who builds the Muslim database. I can almost guarantee they're they're the company behind our favorite shit show, uh, Obamacare, and all the the craziness there. Um, they'll be behind the shit show when when we go build a Muslim registry. But um, so I mean, I have lots of opinions there about Oracle. But I think backing up from the you know all of these these ordained tech visionaries being brought together to. Uh, you know, plan our future and and plan, uh, you know, how the the roadmap for our technology overlords will play out in in, in the in the next four years. Um, you know, these people were were chosen, um, except for Twitter, which I found interesting. Uh, Twitter was not chosen, but they've all got together to decide our fate, I guess. Yeah, they were summoned. Um, the the leaders of um, some of the um, most powerful tech technology, computer technology companies were summoned um, up the golden elevator of Trump Tower um, to, to, meet, to, to meet with um, uh, President-elect Trump and his children. Um, so that's weird considering the blind trust thing, but I digress. Um, uh, but yeah, apparently, um, so let's see who was there. Uh, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. Um, Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook, um, I believe the CEO of Microsoft, um, the CEO of Oracle. Jeff Bezos. Uh, Jeff Bezos was there. Um, that's right. Of from Amazon. Um, was Peter Thiel present in that? Oh, Peter Thiel was there. Yes, Peter Thiel was there, um, and the other co-founder of Palantir um, uh, Technologies. Um, I can't. I can't remember. I, 
who was else was there but you know it was interesting to see who was who wasn't there and you mentioned you mentioned Twitter, which is, of course, a, a, a very interesting um, a snub, right, considering how important um, Twitter has been to Trump's campaign and to Trump's own lashing out um, angrily um, uh, during the campaign and, and since his election, um, that Trump wasn't there. Uh, reportedly, according to Politico, it's because Twitter, excuse me, Twitter wasn't there. Uh, Twitter had refused to make a special emoji that would appear anytime someone tweeted hashtag crooked Hillary. So purportly, I guess supposedly this was payback, not inviting Jack was payback for, for not working um, not working with the petty little handed man um, on his emoji idea. Which I think is going to come up here uh, well, in some interesting ways. Cons- I mean, considering that Twitter is uh, the new White House Rose Garden slash uh, press briefing room. Uh, right. He know. hasn't had a press, an official press meeting since like July. Yeah. I and mean, I think it's it's just going to continue. I mean, he's uh, Twitter is going to be that, uh, you know, it's going to replace, as he sees it, you know, the need for the press corps, the White House press corps, and, and you know, some of those back and forth games that we see between uh, journalists and, and the White House um, that we've seen in the past, um, they, you know, there's a kind of natural relationship between the two. Um, the White House needs the press corps, and the, the press corps needs the White House to, you know, uh, to have these conversations. I don't think Trump sees the need for that because he has Twitter as a bullhorn. But um, if he's going to be snubbing them, um, you know, I'm curious to see how they're going to take that and respond over the next four years. Yeah. So also, so also at the event, of course, was. Um Larry Page from Google, and I believe Eric Schmidt from Google slash Alphabet was there as well. But yeah, I think that the snubbing of Twitter was really interesting. I think that Jack Dorsey, much like several of these young tech CEOs, um, has political aspirations. It wouldn't surprise me, I think, if Mark Zuckerberg has political aspirations. So it was very interesting that Zuck sent Sheryl Sandberg instead of appearing himself. Um, Smart, I think a smart a smart move in terms of, if nothing else, the pictures, the pictures that came out with them all looking sort of shell shocked, and and Jeff Bezos and a couple of them looked like um, looked like he was sort of having the eye twitch um, that Inspector Clouseau's boss would 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 often get um, with when dealing with with his particular brand of incompetence um, and and idiocy. But um, also, I'm missing was Larry Ellison. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's a key one. So, so just again, you know, thinking about who, so who's who's willing, and who who the Trump administration thinks that they need to pressure, who's willing to sort of work with Trump, right? So Musk, um, Musk, uh, Palantir, Peter Thiel, um, and then who's who's sort of subtly and who's overtly refusing. And so, one of the interesting things that came out this week was a document called um, neveragain.tech, which was um, people could sign it, um, people who work in the tech industry could sign it and say that they refused to cooperate with the Trump administration in building this sort of this Muslim database that uh, Trump has sort of hinted that he would, that he would, um, that he would uh, have developed in order to track um, track the location, the identity and location of Muslims in this country. Yeah, which I'm, I'm all a, a fan of supporting. I think people need to uh, come out and be as as clear about this as possible. 
problem with with um with this for me and and I'll pick on specifically IBM for this is is these companies <laughs> are are notorious at you know being lying sacks of shit and coming up with unique and creative ways to actually do something so so it's a um you know it's a it's a spe- it's a personalized religion database. It's not a Muslim tracking database. I mean, they'll come up with some other fucking you know way to call this and and actually do this. So I I just I don't trust any of these these statements from some of the companies as far as I can throw them. Well, I I mean to be perfectly frank, we know that the government already has these capabilities. Certainly, these tech companies already have these capabilities, right? Facebook can target you know Facebook can target um, advertising. Um, and, you know, at a very detailed level based on your age, based on your sexual preference, based on your race, um, based on your, um, all sorts of, of your political identity. And so it's, it's, it's sort of, (laughs) it's silly to say that this is not, that this is something that has to quote unquote be built. Um, this is absolutely the kind of stuff that Palantir, Peter Thiel's company already does for the government, right? Already has built um, to identify undocumented in- immigrants, for example, to identify um, to, to identify people, both through casual and I mean through sort of the casual or from through both through the explicit collection of of data and then through the collection of metadata. And we hear all the time, you know, that the government say that you know they're able to identify terrorists. Terrorists to assassinate with with drones through metadata, and so I, I just don't believe for a second that this is somehow beyond the capacity, beyond the technical capability of of the U.S. government, um, and it's certainly not beyond the te- te- technical capability of any of the companies who sat around the table, um, who sat around the table with uh, with Trump. I mean, it's 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 something that Amazon could do. Amazon could probably, with a great deal of confidence, identify your religion, right? Based, on, I mean, and Amazon isn't in the business of uh, at all of 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 selling you ads like Google and Facebook are, but Amazon absolutely could identify your religion. And so, this notion that they're not going to participate in building a registry, <laughs> I mean that. You know, I, I mean, I, I mean I'm, gla- I'm glad they're the making a public statement so that no, I am actually that's really important. And yeah. so we can hold their feet to the fire. But, you know, a, I, I, you know, they can call it whatever they want and, do, and still do it. B, um, you know, there's not always accountability when, uh, you know, after the fact, even if someone did say they weren't going to do it and do it. Um, but I, th- I still think it's important that it's out there. Well, and I think it's actually really important that um that these that people who work in the tech sector speak out individually as well, whether or not they're um, whether or not the company that they work for is publicly stating that they refuse to do this work. I think it's really important, uh, again, like on a macro level and on a micro level, for people who work in tech to really think carefully about the data that they're collecting, um, the analytics and algorithms that they're building and what the discriminatory fallout is already from from these tools. And to step up and say, I will not build a Muslim registry, I think is really important. I will not work for a company that does this. I will not, hopefully I think it's a first step into not just, you know, not just this particular 
database, but it, hopefully it's the first step into rethinking the kinds of um, the kinds of software that Silicon Valley churns out all the fucking time. I'm working on the last um, article in my year-end series today, and it's on this topic. It's on the specific topic of algorithmic discrimination, and I think it's so intertwined in the in the tools that we're building and and building in education, right? The sort of predictive analytics that identify whether you might drop out or you might what major you would you know we recommend or whether we should hire you or whether you're suicidal or whether you might be an extremist or or at risk of being radicalized or whether you are a good you know you're a good um a good candidate for a student loan um we are developing these i think discriminatory software all the time and i wish there were more education companies on that list that signed neveragain.tech and that their absence to me is troubling not because not because they aren't sort of committing to not building the registry but because they don't see the work that they're doing is already in the service of doing precisely that well precisely that, that and that's i mean and i say this coming out of a two week distraction with ai and machine learning so you know i i preface this with there will be good uses of artificial intelligence. But one, artificial intelligence is, is going to be the number one way that we obfuscate all of those systemic illnesses that you just rattled off. And then two, it's going to be the number one way that they uh, break down walls of privacy and any, any aspects of privacy that we already enjoy. And a, 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 an example of that and how... Uh, thoughtless or, or, or just lack of critical thinking and awareness that, that these tech companies have, Evernote had to back off a, uh, you know, that they were you, they were reading your personal notes for the sake of artificial intelligence in the algorithm and personalizing and making, uh, you know, your tools better. So this is going to be the number one reason um, that we, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that racial, uh, uh, misogynistic kind of bias gets built into these systems. And, and we're going to, we're going to continue to see that, but it's going to be the number one way they, they break their ways into our nest thermostat, our home data, our automobile data, our personal thoughts, our personal communications is, Hey, we're going to personalize this for you, which will be code for all of that list of things that you listed off. So you said they break in. Were you talking about the Russians? Well, I mean, yeah, sure. That that can happen too. But uh, uh, no, in this case, it's just Evernote, which, you know, Evernote for me, because uh, how long have we been off Evernote? Like two years? Gosh, two or three years. Two or yeah. three years now. Both We we both migrated off. I mean, the the, the platform was has been swirling the toilet bowl for a number of years Um uh, from a, just a tool um, and, and exemplified, you know, the kind of marching forward of meaningless tech for no Bloat. reason. Yeah. And, and um, but they even, you know, they had to kind of, I just was looking at the email in my inbox of them saying, we respect your privacy. We're backing off what we said. You know, I'm like, hey, great. I'm glad you're being public about this. But how many of these decisions are made behind the scenes? Never get a press release, never get called out and never have a backtracking of because you guys are all so blindly marching forward with this technology. 
Well, I mean, and I think that that's a really important, like, how does this decision get made in the first place? Like, wh- who was at the table, right? Who was sitting at the table when the folks at Evernote said, we're going to change the p- privacy policy and we're going to make it so that um, our engineers have access to people's private notes in order to improve our algorithms, right? So, I mean, I just, like, to me, that's just a, a mind-blowing decision to make, um, and that that nobody at the table, or perhaps one person at the table, but they were overruled, right? That nobody at Evernote was like, "This is a seriously bad idea." Like this is like the what we what we gain is so inconsequential um, uh, compared to what we lose by by really demonstrating to our users. Our, our paid users, right? Our paid people that pay to use our software that we do not care about the, their privacy. And by extension, we don't care about their security, right? So I mean, people, people keep all sorts of um, stuff in Evernote. Keep, if people don't use a password manager, they, they store their password information in Evernote. They store their banking details in Evernote. They store their social security um information in Evernote. People use this tools to, to keep information that they need to, you know, it's not just, um, you know, salacious details or, or, I mean, it's actually really important. Some people keep really important stuff in there. And so the fact that no one at Evernote was like, yeah, this is a bad idea. Let's not, let's not do it. Uh, let's not do it, not just because it's going to be a PR disaster, but let's not do this because it's, it's profoundly unethical. Well, I mean, this is that's and so no one stopped, you know, no, like, and that's to me the problem with a lot of these companies is, you know, in no small part because of the demographics of who who is sitting around the table, who is making these decisions, who is building these tools, who's arguing for certain products or features to be added that they that these are primarily white male English speaking, upper middle class, upper middle class, able bodied straight men from the global north (laughs) and you sort of get a sense of maybe why maybe why these issues are just sort of not on their radar i mean they're just they're oblivious to what's going on and they're all oblivious they're uh all drank this kool-aid that you know technology has to mindlessly march forward we need those those algorithmic personalizations that this will um bring and without any regards to like how you know the last 15 waves of of mindless features that were added had run off uh, professionals like you and I who who loved and believed in the tool. I mean, you and I have gone to events and listened to the CEO talk and and were, you know, diehard. I don't Evernote. think he works there any longer. Yeah, I doubt he does anymore. But, uh, you know, we, we drank the Kool-Aid and we're, we're using these tools as professionals. It was core to us. And just, you know, by adding in, you know, I forget which feature they added in that that was too much for me. But I just finally was like, you know, I don't need all these features. I need a fucking note keeping tool that works and that's in the cloud and that's on my iPhone. And so right, it syncs across that syncs across my devices. Yeah. You know, that, that they're not thinking about any of these systemic illnesses and these and these potential problems that arise. I mean, and this is what we alluded to with with, you know, the Uber and, and the, the sharing economy, the drone stuff. It's like pick pick your tech. You know, you you've got you know these these white guys who are a perfect vehicle for moving this forward for the rich 
um, uh, you know, VC people, and they're marching these things forward with this blind goal of, hey, we got to be that best next next killer feature, that next killer tool. Um, this we can't stay stagnant and just even though we have a great tool, we have to keep moving it forward and evolving it, and we have to, and we're gonna just keep doing it in a way that that is just clueless and oblivious. Yeah, uh, that reminds me um, the news that Slack is gonna add video chat. Yeah. You know, it's the same sort of thing. You have a good thing. Um, well, I don't know. It's kind of debatable about Slack. But you have a thing that people seem to be using. But, yeah, you keep on adding bells and whistles and features to it. And, you know, it's just sort of this because you believe that people are always demanding more and more complex, bloated software. And what's funny is, I think, well, not funny, which, what's actually deeply tragic is that that all of this ex- makes our data, personal data, much more insecure. Um, and so many people, there was a really great story in the New York Times this week, and I don't, I, I don't want, we talked about this last week, I don't want to dwell too much on the sort of alleged Russian hack, but the there was a story about the DNC's emails, um, um, how, how they just fell for like a simple phishing attacks, you know? I mean, and people still click on sketchy links in their email. Um, people who are the, the leaders of this country, right? People who are in positions of great power. And so we're we're spending a lot of time solving non-problems for non-important people um, and instead of actually addressing some of the core issues, the core security flaws that I think we're, um, that we really have to face. And uh, so as we wrap up, you pointed out to me a really interesting article by Bruce Schneier by the information or security expert, Bruce Schneier, sort of how he plans to move forward, because I think you know, it's some it's a topic that you and I have touched upon almost weekly. I think here is this notion of cybersecurity, um, and how are we going to move forward when we are at such when when we're all sort of at, at, at risk, um, and at risk sort of technologically, at risk politically, at risk economically. Um, well, and I like I like Bruce's position on this, and and. Thanks for this setup because I think ending on a progressive, productive, um, uh, positive, not, I don't know about positive note, but a, a progressive, uh, note is, is his, he, he notes that, you know, this, this administration, incoming administration worries me, but you know what? Um, I, I, I did what I, 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 I fought the good fight during the Clinton administration when it came to encryption. I've done the same during the Bush administration. I did the same during the Obama administration, and I'm going to do the same here. And he has four um, key things that are really nice and short and sweet. You can go to the article. We'll include it in the show notes to, to get the details. But really, um, you know, his, his article is, my priorities for the next four years. One, fight the fights. Two, prepare for those fights. Three, lay the groundwork for a better future, and four, continue to solve actual problems. Well, yeah, good luck on the tech industry doing any of those things. But, yeah, certainly as individuals, <laughs> we can give it the old college try. <laughs> yes. So I think that's a, that's a good note to end on. Sounds good. All right. Till next week then. 